Well, yeah. Okay, so, so Andrew's going to talk a bit about this um, process we've gone through of discussing the the structure or the direction of the F200. So it, it, it kind of links from this session in terms of the how of the delivery, but this is now more the what is, is delivered in, that, in the fellowship. I mean, just a, um, as I've been talking to particularly my employer and other people around the um, um, 2019 ASSA curriculum, you know, some of the, uh, quite a common question has come up has been, so now uh, is that the end of the syllabus changes? You know, do we now have a syllabus structure that, that, that won't change? And um, you know, is it going to be stability in actual education? Um, and of course, I was answering with the knowledge that we really embarked on a process of reviewing um, the fellowship subjects. Um, and, but I think wider than that, um, I think if, if your education system is not regularly changing, then actually you, you're probably not providing quality education. Because I think we've, you know, we've talked in the morning about technology and data and this and changes environment. And I think there will always be changes. I think the structure, you know, the broad structure, which we actually haven't changed too much even with, with the 2019 syllabus, that might stay. But I think there will be significant changes in content, possibly in structure, certainly in individual subjects. Um, so I think it is important that um, with the 2019 syllabus changes looking entirely at the associateship syllabus, that the next step was to take a step back and look at our fellowship subjects. Um, I think based on uh, some of the discussions this morning and at lunchtime, we might be looking, re-looking at associateship sooner rather than later, but um, we actually haven't, we've inherited the UK system for our fellowship subjects. Um, so I think it is important to just take a step back and say, does it make uh, sense? Okay, so this, um, we start the task force, so it's important to begin with the sort of terms, terms of reference or objective. Um, so this was what we set out to do. Um, and I think it comes down to providing quality, leading edge education. When, when we started the group, we listed a whole lot of issues that... Um, you know, were concerns or issues or things to consider with the broad, um, with our overall fellowship subjects, but also with individual subjects. And I mean, we've got quite a, a long spreadsheet. Okay. All right. So, there's, um, yeah, so quite a long list of issues, uh, quite, a, quite a big spreadsheet with, with a number of issues. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but I think uh, this slide summarizes some of the key things. I think with any education system, assuming you're keeping reasonable standard, I think low pass rates are always a concern. Um, examiners have expressed, uh, I think, concern around the technical skills of fellowship students, I think, but also concern that people are often writing specialist subjects in an area that they have very little practical experience in as, as one of the, the concerns there. Um, I think, you, you're, I think this group is all familiar with our current fellowship structure. It's a completely optional structure except for the normative component at the end. So you've got a choice of two F1 subjects, one F2 subject. So there's no core base of knowledge for students who are pursuing an education at fellowship level. Um, and I know when we started the, the 
local syllabus. We had a discussion that at least wanted everyone to do a liability subject, which we had for a few years. Um, and then, you know, with banking coming in, we thought that wasn't um, wasn't practical. But basically, um, you, you know, students to fellowship, no, there's no absolutely common component there, and that. You know, that has been something that we've said we will relook at here as well. Some practice areas have low declining numbers, particularly the retirement area. There's a particular challenge with SERA at the moment. Uh, I think you all know we use the UK ST9 exam as our F106 subject. Um, and as Jeanette and I've also been on the review panels know, um, that uh, system has actually been getting conditional approvals from, from the serial review panel, um, just in terms of particularly the examination process and some of the, I won't go into detail now, but just some of the, the, the concerns around that. And I think within that there's, it's probably unlikely the UK will lose that serial accreditation, but can we, or should we be doing it better, better locally given the growth in ERM education? And then finally, just relevance of, of subjects in light of various environmental changes, particularly data, technology, resources. So in looking um, at sort of a helicopter view, how do we want our fellowship structure to look at? Um, we, we looked at three um, broad options. Um, option one is pretty much as we have at the moment, so still keeping choice um, throughout the, the, the fellowship system. So that option is, obviously we would look at some changes within there, but essentially that from a structural point of view is, is no change. Option two would be a core compulsory um, fellowship subject uh, with quite a bit of ERM content, but I think the view would be to also have some um, common learnings across the different practice areas, sort of a business uh, focus applying, applying that in the real world. It wouldn't be um, the CERA subject in itself, so you'd still have to do probably an enhanced version of the C100 course, but it would offer easier access to the ERM component and would allow us to, to teach concepts that we think would be useful for all fellowship students to do. And then you'd still then do two papers in your specialist area. Option three, I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar or seen the Society of Actuaries thing, but it's a, I suppose it's a bit of a mixture of option one and option two. So they have specialist tracks. I think they've got six specialist tracks, um, just similar to ours, except they don't have banking, but I think they've got a separate finance and investments track. Um, and you do a number of subjects, so you've got more subjects to do at a fellowship level, some of them are a bit smaller, um, some of them are compulsory for each track, there's a few options within that. So it's, it's a fairly complicated structure which is linked towards specialisations, but probably but a little bit more, more choice and opportunity to do, to do different areas. So we've had quite a bit of discussion around those options. Um, I think option three, uh, I don't think anyone has yeah, um, sees as practical or, or useful, but I think it's always useful to to explore the universe of options. And I don't think anyone could could um, anyone could think of anything else to do. So and I think that covers the, the main one. So I think we can we can dismiss that one. Um, but I think option one and two, there's mixed views. Um, I think in terms of the current task force, probably a slight favouring towards option one. 
I'm sorry, option two. Um, and in terms of a recent survey we did for students associates, also a slight majority, but not, not a clear-cut majority. So I think in deciding which way to go, we've got a quite an important practical decision to make. We need to consider all, all, all the pros and cons. Andrew, could you just elaborate a little bit on the op option to compulsory for the, the core subject, and especially with the ERM focus, where that came from? Why the ERM focus in that one, and how does that core subject differ from the A301? Hmm. Well, in some ways, it's an advancement of A301. So I think we would like to see you know, people getting more exposure to the different practice areas, um, but it would be more, more focused on the... So A301 covers broad principles of risk management, uh, ERM covers it in more an enterprise risk management, um, you know, that and that approach, and uh, goes into more details around things like economic capital, um, risk metrics, and, and things like that. So there's sort of an extension of of A301, uh, but with with an ERM focus. So it's not it's not a repeat of A301. So I think in 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 looking at this, so we would come up with a list of of pros and cons for. Um, <laughs> There was like barcodes and everything in the description. I, 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 I think your finger might have rested on. No, the PC actually did something on the touchpad. Is it on the touchpad? Let's try. Okay, so I think option one, um, you know, it's it's the it's the little change option. Um, so it maintains a significant level of choice for students, which can be seen in this example. And I think, importantly, option one. Given you know constraint and resources, you know is is less work to do. I think there will be things uh, which I'll do on a slide shortly, which I think we would want to do as a result of the review, but there wouldn't be significant structure, structure changes. Can I uh, ask another clarification question for option one? So option one was two two relate two subjects in one area and another subject in a different. As we have at the moment, so it's like two F ones and one F two. So you do F F one in. So, but is the requirement that your F, that that your F two is based on one of the F ones that you did, that that's, or, or not? Makes sense. It probably makes sense. I mean, at the moment you don't have to, but you know it'll be unusual for a student to. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so it may. Yeah. Similar is actually the same. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think one of the, the sort of lingering cons from that is that students will be doing specialist courses in areas that they have little practical experience in, um, and it doesn't allow for that core base of fellowship knowledge, which certainly from previous discussions, um, certainly some people see as useful. Go on to the next slide, Rian. Okay, so I think with option two, um, so I think with, with a significant change, I think there will always be advantages and disadvantages. So that's why I think both the pros and cons list is, is longer there. Um, so you do have that compulsory base of knowledge, um, address concerns and some key principles, you know, maybe around liabilities and things like that are, are covered, you know, which, which might not be covered in A301 for all, all fellowship students. Um, students won't have to do a fellowship subject in an area that they don't have practical experience in. Um, I think all it will allow students easier access. So the, the compulsory subject definitely won't be cover the full SERA syllabus, um, but it would allow easier access for students to the SERA global qualification, which I think could, could be quite attractive for, for South African students. Um, I think it allows all students to get practical business insights. So I think we're 
profession is sometimes challenged to to operate constructively in in a business context um, I think that might be be quite useful for for people operating at that level um, and I think uh, you know not a trivial practical thing it'll be less exam dates needed because you could write all your F1 subjects on the same date so sometimes the search for multiple exam dates can would, would be a bit less as well mm. the cons are um, are important um, will be significant work um, for for um, although if one could use um, the current ST9 F106 as a as a framework we certainly want to develop localize and to build build capacity there um, I think the, the the key con that has been discussed is less flexibility and and loss of student choice for that second specialization which can be useful if students do want to change um, career or you know careers or specializations at, at a point in their career um, and there would probably have to be some duplication of content within the specialist subjects um, so I think this is, so this is not necessarily stuff that's 100% agreed, but I think these are things that the group have discussed, which, um, which I think we would want to progress regardless of which, which option is chosen. So I think the development of a local ERM subject clearly doesn't have to be within that uh, compulsory subject, but I think it is something we would want to pursue, in including the possible expansion of, of the C100. Um, I think on the banking side, there's quite a bit of appetite to develop an F1 level banking subject. Um, you know, they feel that there's a lot of content that they're putting into what's becoming quite a big F2 subject, and I think it'll also be easier to use an F1 subject for any global use of our banking subject. So there's quite a bit of appetite for that. I mean, certainly the viability of the, the current retirement area is is being questioned. Sorry, Brian, if we can get back. Um, so I think one of the things that has uh, has been discussed, and I think that people representing the retirement area would be supportive, would be to broaden the retirement subject to more broad employee benefits, public policy, you know, helping okay. actors maybe working in, in government service, uh, covering things like social security, or so. Sorry, and that's been done. Uh, it was done, and uh, Joe was involved, uh, yeah. Professor David McCarthy. I know, I know so that's already done. happened. I know it's happened to some extent, but I think there, there's 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 this. Could do more, I suppose. But but yeah. yeah, I think that the problem with that subject is not that it doesn't have enough energy, it's just that that area is popular, and yeah. all that stuff doesn't make it more popular. Well, it could make it more widely used. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a core problem. Yeah. Okay, and then all all specialist areas. Um, you know, to consider adapting content for, for these emerging areas. Um, and then I think the whole scaffolding thing, I think there's, there's quite a bit of support for ensuring that one completes associateship before before fellowship, you know, which, which I think the UK are also, also pushing as well. Okay, other issues. Um, so I think these, these are things um, that um, we've sort of talked around the task force, but I don't think it's necessarily the remit of the task force to decide. I think the one that has come up, which, which I think does come up every now and then, because I think we, we're still in an unsatisfactory situation that we have a, 
research option, but it's not like an option that's really practical, so no one actually uses it, which I don't think makes everyone happy. Has it ever been used? So I think I think you know I think the 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 options would seem to be to exclude completely and say there isn't a research option, or have a separate research qualification, um, or you know incorporate into FAFSA and actively encourage it as as an option to promote research. And I, you know, I think those are three very different options, and I think possibly as an additional task force might want to look at that to sort of almost put put that to put that to bed. I'm not sure it's a remit of this group, but I think there is there is a need to um, maybe for, for a different group of people to to look at that. I mean, there is there will be a variety of views. Um, Represent all the different parties, but I think it would be good to, to finalise that one. And then we've had the tuition discussion as well. Um, I think the, the thing we, as a group, particularly noted is the F1 subjects, um, and we, we can't update, um, we couldn't update the F1 subjects this year because Act Ed were busy focusing on the UK changes, um, and therefore, um, uh, you know, we, we were constrained. And I think we would like a fellowship tuition system where we can bring through updates as and, as and when they need it. So, yeah, and again, that's probably a, whether it's a tuition committee or a special group, that's probably also a little bit out of our ambit. I have a query. If you could go back a slide, please. What, no, no, what actually is the idea or was the idea behind a research qualification? What do you want out of someone who has a research qualification? No, no, just to going back to what Andrew said, I mean, it wasn't really in the remit of this, so we could go into a whole sidetrack on it. I, I, to, be, to be honest, I don't know, because I wasn't part of the original the, the discussion. But I think the thing is that with the research, with the, 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 the research option is, in fact, a PhD in actual science, I mean, effectively. So there is... The, the, yes, I mean, but, but, but what I'm saying is that, that, that do we need to incorporate it into a, professional, into a professional qualification? So when there is another, you know, there, there is another way to get a research qualification, which is by doing a PhD in actual science. So, so I guess that was the way that we dealt with it in the, um, in the task group. Um, so, so, but the, 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 the counter to that is to say that as a profession we have a great interest in promoting research and so we also need to be we need to be equipping people who are going to be doing that research but does it need to be at the level of a PhD in actual science or does it need to be at the level that people can write well and, and produce research to be shared but I, I'm not sure that we want to make this discussion that's why about the research options so maybe we should just Park that, but we'll let the chair of the board of examiners have a say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have a couple of other comments, but perhaps just to quickly wrap the research question up. I mean, it's it's been a point of contention for quite some time. I think there are some voices that believe that we don't promote research enough in our profession, which might be true if we look at the the volume of research being produced. 
But by the same token, the difficulty we face at the Board of Examiners is that the current flavor, as it were, of F200 exams are by design very practical, like grounded in, in actual experience, in practical application. And it is hard to form a parallel track uh, of research um, next to those, especially if we consider the current philosophy that an actuary is an actuary, and, and that it, regardless of the manner in which you qualified, you can transfer to any to any um, discipline. So maybe it's worthwhile just to remark that so far, we've only had what I would label characterize as very opportunistic attempts to to pursue this course of action. So we've had about three or four over the past five years, and all of them were students who've already done a master's, many of them from UCT. I don't know if there's a good reason or a bad reason for that. Um, and after doing the master's, almost like a, a zero-priced option or maybe a 5,000-rand-priced option, um, fill in a form and submit it to us, hoping that this can conveniently be converted into an actuarial qualification. Whereas the research policy at the moment is very different. What is supposed to happen is that the research proposal needs to be submitted and approved, and then the research should commence under supervision, etc. But we haven't seen a single attempt to pursue that course of action, at least in the past decade. So maybe to wrap up the digression, I think it, 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 can, uh, it can do with, uh, with reconsideration. But I have some other comments which, which we'll get to later. Sorry, I want to continue with the digression for one. I, th I think let's. Point. I think let's. Let's. I think we we need to set up a task force on this. I would suggest that's that's an action, and we resolve it once and for all. I mean, it has taken a lot of time in different forums. Um, we have probably 15 minutes. I think of the yeah, slot left. So I think let's discuss the um, other points from the. You know, but I think particularly the the structural options, um, and then also the other uh, angles that, that, that the team have looked at. Um, and then Rian has put up a survey, which is just to get the views of this group on the, on the two options. Um, so you could probably do that on your cell phone, or uh, would suggest maybe you wait for the discussion, because maybe someone, someone will, will persuade you one way or the other if you haven't given your view. Um, and then, um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's have about 10, 10 minutes of discussion or so, and then we can give one or two minutes just to, to vote. Um, so I hold the mic, and that's very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so just on the, on the various options. Um, so I was the person initially who was very much against the um, losing the common core set of principles at the F100 level. And to my mind, option two is the worst of the three options that have been put up. And I spent a lot of time looking into the various things. Um, my proposal at the time was a lot of the enterprise risk management material, half of it is very statistical, okay? And half of it is, is actuarial. But that, that half that's very actuarial get re-looked at combined with A301. Um, because that A301 is a terrible subject which does a little bit of some of the F100s and a little bit of the enterprise risk. And if we take half of that material and we relook at it in context to A301 and have a decent massa and we beef up and we introduce another statistical topic that gets us to the zero qualification, I would then propose that at the F level we go to 
two F100s that everyone has to do, one around liability and other around finance and capital, that then allows everyone then to choose their specialist F200. But the F100 becomes very broadly around the key principles of liability management, design, client uh, engagement, uh, and including damages and policy and all of those things. And the other is around capital, capital cost, financing, accessing capital markets, and all the things that, that we want as a foundation. And then we just have our six F200s or whatever that float on top of that. Rather than forcing everyone to do an ERM at an F100 level and then forcing them to do two subjects that are quite narrow um, and also then a lot of our students if they want to change areas will be trapped in one paradigm and not the other so for my two cents worth that's what I propose. I also have a mic now so I can I can speak because <laughs> apparently that's that's how this works No, um, so I mean I have some concerns I, I certainly agree with the all of the slides that started with other the other proposals and the other considerations, I think those were quite sound, but my overarching concern as to the options um, is really to ask, I'm not sure whether the proposed treatment matches the diagnosis, in which I guess I give away some of my, my health leniencies here. But so we, we're saying that we're concerned, and Monica can perhaps weigh in on an F200 level, we're really worried about the quality of candidate presenting for an F200 exam. And I have to give some examples to just maybe underline this in a fairly dramatic way, but we're literally seeing candidates writing F204 who don't know the difference between a pensions and a provident fund. I'm not kidding. This is candidates presenting for a fellowship exam. We've seen candidates uh, presenting for a health exam that talk about premiums and not contributions, which is very unusual in the world of healthcare. And, and the list goes on. So I'm not sure whether, if we're worried about the kind of candidate presenting for a fellowship exam, I'm not sure that tweaking the fellowship exams is the solution. I agree with Stephen that it, it must lie lower down in kind of the, the scaffolding hierarchy. I'm quite keen on much more of a general list, a bit of an expansion on what might be characterized as an F100 level prior to arriving on the F200 or fellowship exam rather than changing the fellowship exam itself, if that makes any sense. And maybe to add to the idea of two specialist exams, I mean, the current tradition is that we try and set fellowship exams at a level where we often use as a rough internal rule of thumb to say that someone who's been practicing in that area for about three years, we're trying to pitch the exam at a level where that kind of person should be broadly familiar with some of the nuances that we're trying to test. And I think it would be unfair to try and introduce multiple disciplines on that level for that, for that reason. Okay, that's, that's, that's good to know. So I think I'll, I'll stick to the, the overarching concern that more preparation and more scaffolding is, is needed before you arrive at the final level. Steve, um, I definitely agree with you. It would be wonderful if we could incorporate all of those, that half of the F106 uh, material into a F01. I try to teach that to my students. They don't always appreciate it. They just want... Yes, yeah. <laughs> they don't see the value of going beyond the syllabus, but uh, I do try. Um, the problem is, I mean, a F01 is already fairly big. 
Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, yes, wonderful. Um, and <laughs> and I, I think we, we, we still need to kind of consider our position in the international arena. Um, I think we are already making it more difficult for South Africans to qualify as an AMASA with our split of 211 and 8211 and 213. Um, now we know because we're going to examine them on a computer in a room without any access to a body. So it's slightly more difficult to become a South African master, but that's, that's not part of this discussion. Um, but it, it would be ideal if we had our master, our associate actually actually have a very sound risk management uh, basis. I don't see it realistic. Uh, so the idea would be to take that take out half of that statistical stuff and incorporate that into a more technical, the beefed up C100 course that could have, it will probably have to be formally assessed then. Currently it's not, it's an attendance course. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that's on the table obviously. Um, and then just incorporate the risk management principles and capital management, which is so important. I must say, I think we are a little bit skewed towards academics in this room, mostly. <laughs> with your two hats, Roseanne, obviously you're sitting both uh, sides of the fence, but there is quite a lot of practice um, committee support for beefing up risk management. Um, I think um, most life actuaries, um, now in, not life actuaries uh, uh, only, but many life actuaries now finding themselves in, in a risk management role, it's definitely in support of that seeing that um, in Europe, for instance, the zero qualification has quite a lot of traction because it kind of cements an actuary as a business enabler. I think we've been a little bit spoiled in South Africa that the actuaries has been regarded as business enablers, as risk managers, as strategic thinkers up till now. It's not the same way all over the world. But I think we've, we're taking it a bit for granted and I think it's important that all actuaries should have a very thorough grounding in risk management. So, um, so that's just my, my two cents on, on, on option two. I, I, I believe there's lo a lot of practice area support for having that basic F100 subject. Yes, uh, personally I do, but I, I also, from what I've heard, is I think there's a lot of practice area support for option two as well. And obviously taking all of those really heavy stats out of option. <laughs> <laughs> to that subject, so don't worry about that. Yeah, to the earlier subjects, yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Um, what I just wanted to, it's more in support of some of the things that have been said. I really did like Stephen's idea about changing CA1, <laughs> having lectured and marked myself. Um, but really, more on what Christopher was saying. Um, I'm the principal examiner for F205, and I've just been doing counselling this week, so it's quite fresh in my mind as well. How many students are writing this exam that are not working in the field? And how do we discourage that? Because you'll say to them, why are you doing this? You're making your life so hard. And they'll go, either, well, they're bored at work and they want to do something different, or they actually want to get experience, they feel they can then get experience in two areas. So do we try and... Are we inadvertently trying to push them in, push people into a, being a specialist or a generalist actuary with either of our options? 
Um, and maybe that's something we should step back and discuss and think about a bit more. Because to me, I'm not saying you can never pass FGFR, but when we get to the borderline candidates as well, the, the overriding thing we look at is, would I put this person in front of my client as an investments actuary? And definitely if you're not working in the area, that's going to come through and they're not going to make it. Thanks, yes. I, I don't really want to talk about the F2 particularly much. Um, other than to say it was at least 10 years ago that the UK profession introduced the concept of an embryonic actuary. Um, and I'm just wondering whether we're not setting that hurdle too high, expecting them to be fully versed practitioners ready to present at boards. That um, It'd be interesting just to, to do a bit of an analysis on pass rates, because certainly our F1 level pass rates have, have sub gone well below the UK ST level pass rates since we went by ourselves in 2010. So it could be that we're just requiring too much of students at that level. Um, but my comment was essentially around the the, the first part, uh, the options one and two. And, and my thinking is along the same lines as Steve, that um, we need to look at this not in isolation of A301. Um, so the fellowship review needs to bear in mind what A301 was there for. And when we had the debate around not forcing students to take a liability subject, the argument at that stage is A301 is providing the common base. Um, so it d d doesn't make sense for me that we have to then build in an F1 to provide that common base. The A301 is a very, very big course, but perhaps if we did bring down some of the ERM more practical type components, we could even split that A301 into two subjects which would then make it perhaps more manageable for students. But my concern is that the lack of choice, the so students then would not be taking, most students do F102 and F105 at the moment. So if we took away that, we, we could find that a subject like F105 <laughs> becomes very few students, or certainly the F103s and 104s, we may find very few takers if they only have to take one F1 subject. So I'd, I'd be tempted towards the option one, but with a revision of the A301 to take account of the ERM. I just wanted to support Garrett's plea, because here in this conversation, I'm worried that we've forgotten that the F200 is not meant to be a practitioner. Okay, the UK deliberately, and we followed them, is that's why we've got the three years of work-based learning. So that it should be easier for someone to pass the subject and that they only should be measured against the actuarial qualification at the end of the three years. Yeah, I just want to come back to what Yannette said. Is I think we must be careful. We don't always follow the UK because we don't always agree with what, what they're doing and we all have stories to tell about exams and things. But we must be careful to not make the South African qualification more difficult than, the, than, the, than any other international. And Steve raised this at the last education board meeting. I think it's very important, but I don't think many people in this room, but at least a couple, when we had to choose between the writing institute and faculty, the vast majority of us chose to write the faculty because we were all very happy that the exams were more difficult, but there were fewer of them. And I wonder if, if, if this is <laughs> own silly choice. <laughs> But, but no, but the point I'm trying to make is, is maybe there's, have, have you at least considered maybe reducing the number of exams? And, and they can be as difficult as you want them to be to, to make sure that we put the right guys in the market, but 
Do we have to have as many exams? Yeah, I think um, I was a little bit confused by us saying that there's, there's no core that we're doing because I thought the way it's structured is that you, when you get to STs and fellowship that you're supposed to, that you have the core that CA1 specifically built up for you. So it's a little bit confusing when we talk about there seems to be a missing core because then like there's a missing core across the profession in some way. Um, but yeah, I think we need to also be very careful of taking away the, the, the choice that students have because you are forced into making your ST decisions very, your F100 decisions very early on in your career without knowing actually what you are, what the career entails per se. So to tell people they must do, I think it's under option two that you must then do two specialist F100s from the start, you have no idea whether you want to be a general or a life actuary or a health actuary or an ERM actuary and and it's very, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's appropriate to make people make that choice so early. And then finally, on the, on the fellowship side, I think perhaps how we could limit this is to say, <laughs> just make it a minimum requirement that you have to have two years work experience before you do your fellowship. Um, I, I know we may be delaying qualifications in terms of people attempting more, but the idea is that that's kind of, everyone knows that's where, in fact, a lot of the people who do fellowship earlier than that know that I don't necessarily have the practical experience, I'm just going to try my luck at this. So uh, maybe we can formalize that and say, look, this thing is set with two years practical experience, consider it. The choice, the, the, the status quo is now that you can make two choices. And I think if I, maybe I misunderstood option two, but option two says that you must make one choice and do two specialist subjects in that choice. So um, I, I, do, I, don't, I don't want to lose sight of where we started today with the various designations. <laughs> and Steve, uh, so, so, and, and I'm particularly concerned about like, the words that we use and the language. And I think we shouldn't be naive about our ability to educate uh, employers or the public at large of you know, paradigm shifts as to which kind of flavor of actuaries, which kind. I really like Steve's words of a general and a specialist actuary, because I think there's a, again, coming from healthcare, Roseanne, but I think there's a general understanding of like a GP and a specialist, which is quite useful in this distinction. And linking back to that original discussion, I'd be quite comfortable with this kind of specialist designation if the F200 is elevated to a level where this level of practical experience is a requirement. That might also be a way to tie back to Garrett's comment on, on an embryonic actuary, which I believe by definition a specialist actuary would not be. And to, to further elaborate on the example, to become a specialist as a doctor, you do practice for quite a while before you choose your area of speciality. And, and I think it's a useful, perhaps, analogy to, to, to reflect on. What I was going to say is I think, yeah, yeah. So I think what I think what would be useful just as a steer. So I mean, I, I, I mean, I take Stephen's points around, um, you, you know, compulsory subjects in um, F1 potentially or at a, at a fellowship level potentially being not as ERM oriented as we previously discussed. So I think one can still vote around whether we keeping the broad structure as is or whether we're looking for some sort of change, as in, 
you know, different mixing and matching. So I think it'll be useful just to to get some indication around whether we comfortable with the current structure and, and want and want to sort of look at things within that structure, whether we do want to look at some restructuring of subjects, which would probably entail some some sort of compulsory or some you know, maybe look into A three oh one as well. So I think we'll be useful just to get some indication around that. I think the other thing um, which I think we definitely take um, you know is is around thinking around um, you know when you should be doing I think particularly the F2 subject um, you know from a work experience point of view what level that exam should be pitched at as well you know so I think we will we'll want to talk more around that as a group I think just just to note that you cannot get your fellowship for three years of work experience anyway because of the work-based requirement so that may also be be, so it's not a case that you know if you can't do your your F2 subject to your third year of work that that will constrain you in getting your fellowship because you can't get your qualification anyway. So so we might just want to think a bit more around that as well. So I think that's that's a useful that's a useful steer. And just a question, just listening to the discussion now and what's been happening for the last little while, should there not be an underline before we even get into detail this discussion? Of, as to the, whether we want to consciously diverge from the IFA, at the moment, so we diverge in details, localized subjects in some places, and we now splitting one of their subjects, would be still effectively staying on their their syllabus for the early part of the thing. And you know, there's been quite a bit of discussion today around embryo actuaries and real actuaries and all the rest of it as to where we we fit in. And I think you know, there's a lot of discussions we've had over the years in terms of where their standards are going and things of that order and where their actuaries fit in. And maybe it is a time there should be a conscious decision that either we stay close to them because we want to see, rather sort of stay close to the competition or we come in with our own offering that um, you know we remain aware of what's happening there but we are less constrained than what we have been to stay with their structures and their broad structures. And I think that will enable us to have more directions where we take this dis discussion. It's pretty the, the president is out of the room because it's probably a council level discussion to start that discussion, but certainly with a lot of education and put into it.